I personally adore this film. Like you said, it is the, the use of colour. It's not quite like anything I've seen before. It's one of those times where it's really frustrating that horror doesn't get the recognition it deserves because I really think Florence Pugh deserves some kind of awards recognition for this performance because I just think she played it brilliantly. I particularly love the use of the kind of doing a slow burning horrific horror movie in absolute dazzling sunshine which I I don't think is at least I've not seen anything done in, in quite the same way before I mean we watch it yearly <laughs> since it's come out minimum so yeah it, it, it is a five hello everyone joining Flixwater today we have Ian hey guys Graham hey and as always Kobe Hey. And we're here today to talk about Mitsumar. Thank you as always to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us today we have Ian and Graham. If you could please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do please. I'm Graham, I am one half of the podcast nobody asked for, so we're a film podcast, we deal in top threes, uh, usually ridiculous ones, hypotheticals um, and uh, yeah, just um, basically recording conversations we used to have down the pub but now people can listen to them. Isn't that all podcasts? Yeah. <laughs> and then you go into the drunk cast as well. Let's, yeah, let's do this drunk. Maybe not. Uh, who are you? Sorry. The other one. Uh, the other one. Uh, I am, uh, I am, uh, I'm Ian. I'm the other half of the podcast nobody asked for. Yeah. That's it. You want to get, you want to get straight like cracking cracking to talk about Midsummer because you've never, never talked about Midsummer before. <laughs> so uh, we're talking Midsummer, and you guys have spent at least, 80 hours talking about is that right on your on your show we've spent a lot of time talking about midsummer so midsummer is um i think fair to say one of graham and i's favorite films um when we started uh the podcast we decided to do uh, we'd open every episode with a movie recommendation nobody asked for um and the first ever one of those was the birdcage the robin williams um yeah, yeah. uh oh is it Nathan, Nathan, Lane? Lane. Nathan Lane? Um, incredibly underrated comedy. But basically, we'd had an episode about uh, our favorite films we would never want to watch again. Um, so it was just us talking about really depressing films. So we thought, oh, we'll recommend a really upbeat, fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also decided, you know what? We're going to recommend Midsummer as well, because we think everyone should recommend Midsummer or everyone should watch Midsummer. And since then, we have recommended it every single episode. Uh, we've had two midsummer specials um, that we've uh, that have come out, um, and one of those we were lucky enough to be joined by the uh, so Pavel Porkachelsky, who is the director of photography um, okay. for Midsummer, and a lot of Arias, well, all of everything Ariasta has done. So uh, yeah, Midsummer's Midsummer's great. I mean, to skip to the end, Midsummer's a good film. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we've had Birdcage on here, which is which is a delight and very upbeat and very nice. Who's the other, who's who, who played? Um... Lex Luthor in the original uh, Gene Hackman. 
yeah, Gene Hackman's in as well, playing in the kind of a funny role in that as well. Yeah, and um, Hank Azaria as yes. I uh, can't um, remember the character's name, but it's an incredible character name. It's like Spartacus or something like that. Well, I should say we haven't got we haven't got four hours to talk about Midsummer as you guys normally do. <laughs> but let's crack along a bit here. So you've told us why you've told us how much you love it. Let's go straight to the synopsis. Uh, I'll get the timer up. And you've got 60 seconds. Tell us about Midsummer, starting now. Okay. So uh, after experiencing a horrific tragedy, Danny and her colossal arsehole of a boyfriend, Christian, travel to Sweden with a group of friends to visit one of their rural hometowns and its fabled uh, Midsummer Festival. Um, this Midsummer Festival happens once every 90 years, so it's a massive deal. And a lot of the friends are anthropology students, so they all are trying to find... Um, find their muse when trying to kind of write that year's paper. What starts as a quaint and quirky visit becomes increasingly violent and surreal as the full uh, horror of the cult is revealed to them as all of the light festivities and competition starts to take a dark and slightly berry tone. Um, it is 148 minutes of slowly ratcheting tension and it's an incredible film. <laughs> I think you practiced that. Six seconds left to go there. Let's stop there. Um, Helen, Midsummer, I know you're a fan of this. You like you like your, you like your horror, you like your Ariaster. We've had um hereditary on here as well previously. I mean, I, I, I love this one. I think it's great. I think it's really I mean it's everything you said really. I think it's also it just looks really, really good. The cast is great. Um there's just a moment with a bear that's is just unexpected and it's, it's also it's really dark and disturbing but then there's also some really hilarious moments in it as well which is kind of his trademark and there's also a lot of moments where schools faces get smashed in which is another thing that Ariaster loves to do so yeah I mean I love it thanks for picking it <laughs> what we've kind of always said is it's not that it's gorier than other horror films it's that he doesn't cut away when other horror films would so like i've arguably seen worse in other films but you immediately cut away from it it's just while a glimpse, Ari- isn't it? yeah he's like you must look at this we're gonna zoom in now we're gonna zoom in and you're gonna stare in hereditary we that wasn't that wasn't lingering was it but it is later on the, the, oh okay afterwards yeah i get you i get you um graham yeah. Um, what what can I say that Ian hasn't? It's um, it's fantastic. It I, there's a few things that set apart from other horror movies for me. Um, I'm I particularly love the use of the kind of doing a slow burning horrific horror movie in absolute dazzling sunshine, which I I don't think is at least I've not seen anything done in in quite the same way before. Um, so that that to me is really interesting, and then. The other thing is that, yes, it is a horror movie. Yes, it's a look into kind of um, subcultures and cults and things. But really, Ariaster is giving us a, a kind of a, essentially a slow burning commentary on grief and what it can do to a person. And, you know, it's it, the fact that a on the surface horror movie can give you some of the best depictions of grief I've seen in cinema. The Florence Pugh crying is one of the most visceral like outbursts of grief I think I've seen, um, is is something that's that's quite impressive. So uh, yeah, absolutely love it. 
the midsummer the, the midsummer theme been the longest day of the year in the northern that far high in the northern hemisphere um is freaky i remember the first time i was in estonia over the summer and we went into the nightclub and came out at two o'clock and it was still light and we're like <laughs> i don't know what's happened here um and then i went to i lived in norway for three years and i loved that time of year because it was never that hot but because the sun was out just all the time it just felt like you could just like go on for days uh then obviously the converse is winter was a shit show but it is a, it's kind of a weird freaky time of the year so i can imagine it just being like a discombobulating experience for these guys who come from england and come from america and just landed there for the first time and that's that's part of the experience so from, right from the start they're unsettled yeah and then do mushrooms yeah. <laughs> yeah, representation goes like the representation of hallucinogenics is pretty pretty good on on the film. They do a pretty good job of it. Especially when she um she's wearing the headdress and the one of the flowers is is blinking in all the, the food so on the table. So subtle, isn't it? It's, well, that's it's amazing. The, um then when they're carrying her the trees behind her are her sister. How oh, are they? Yeah, it's um, it's something that occasionally will like there'll be a Reddit post of hey, have you spotted this? That goes out like every six months, but once you've spotted it, you can't not see it when it happens. But it's just a lot of like you said, all of the um, all of the trippy stuff is really low key, and it just really adds to the fact that the whole film is just slowly upping the tension occasionally getting rid of it like the head smashing stuff but then mm. just ramping it up again and it's so well done one of the, the things that made me laugh out loud most about the trips uh was when they first did it when mark will pulled his character and I, I did ask in the in this kind of show in the, in the notes before he came in which is the biggest arsehole of, of the guys that came over um when mark was just like yeah but we you got to take a trip at the same time or else we'll have a different trip and when he was on it he was like no lie down with me and it just felt it was like really like yeah, trying to be an alpha male, but also like not being fully the team were they just thought he was a bit of a dick in, in that kind of instance. And I thought that was a re- accurate portrayal of that kind of person. He just wants to go out there to get chicks. Um, and that was his whole kind of resin detriment of being there. Well, what, what I like is like, so with the question, like, who's who's the biggest prick in the film? Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of answers to it, and not a <laughs> single one of them is part of the cult. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I feel I'm, I'm kind of interested in Pele and the and the guy that brought the British people over. So I'll, I'll be like Pele, who was the only one who was nice to Florence yeah. Pugh's character. Yeah, he draws her a picture for her birthday. Like all the other fuckers, see, they forgot. Like he drew her a picture. Yeah. No, I mean for, for, for me that it is uh, Christian. Right, Christian. Oh, it's Christian. But um, <laughs> for cheating well, from the good place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his uh, his character uh josh um he knew what was going to happen with like the whole with the etta stoop yeah. yeah and he also knew that danny wasn't in a particularly good place and he kept it to himself and that is the massive dick move as well because that was like consciously just being a dick yeah and mark's just the fool isn't he you know that's that's his role i mean he's literally depicted in a jester's hat in the uh opening um i mean and that's another crazy thing about this movie the entirety of the plot is depicted in the first like minute and a half as a tapestry on the uh on the opening credit or just after the opening credits um but yeah i think he's he's got the full jester's hat on and everything hasn't he yeah i listened to your episode uh when you're talking about that and i need to go back and i should go back and watch that first few minutes um but that yeah i think there's there's definitely um 
they've got definite strings to their armor to be the, the a dick in that in that situation. <laughs> when when they said, "Oh, tomorrow's this thing called the Etterstoop," and Josh, aka Cheetah, was just like, "Oh, awesome!" <laughs> <laughs> Let's just lean back into this fright fest of people jumping off a off a cliff. Um, and I don't know if I'm not sure if it's a real Nordic thing, but there's there's a TV show called Norseman, which is a comedy on Netflix, where one of the first episodes in early seen is about this. I'm not sure if it's the same name they use, but it's about like just jumping off a cliff to like seal your fate with the gods. And they're all like, guys, this is the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> it is apparent it is heavily debated yeah. as to whether it is actually a thing or not. But that, that <laughs> Norseman sketch is so fucking funny. Yeah. It's, it's, a great, it's a great show. It's one of my favorite shows that I discovered in, in lockdown. It's the same as the the Blood Eagle thing, right? It's it's all kind of shrouded in Norse mythology. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But um, mm. yeah, I think um, it's it's definitely interesting to see both of them play out. Yeah, what? and I mean, and just to kind of talk about kind of the the mural as well, that the fact that the whole film was set out from the outset um, because it was all in. Because you can't hide anything when nothing, you know, everything takes place during the day, basically. Mm. Everything is out on display from the outset. So, like you said, you've got the bear, you've got, like, nothing is hidden. Everything is kind yeah. of there. What's, what's that about the bear? It's a bear. <laughs> it's a bear. <laughs> it's it's a set, ignore the bear. <laughs> you won't need that later. <laughs> It'll be fine. Um, what I was going to talk about, because there's the... Um, the, the American guys and the British guys that came over, they were kind of, they thought they were being killed with kindness. And even though they were being picked up one by one, there's no understanding that they were in the kind of mortal danger until it was too late for them at that time. Uh, like Josh being taken down in the hut when he thought Mark was there and they got, he got hit by the, he got hit by the hammer, even though they'd seen the people jump off the step, off the, off the cliff. And they still kind of thought, oh, these people, these people are great. But they'd all had they always had their cultish personalities to say, no, 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 this is a great honor. We we want to do this. When we get to 72, we want to jump off. And that kind of rein them back in. But then there's a bear, and then there's like your your partner who you travel from England disappears off with it without telling you. And then the other one disappears off. And Mark disappears off because he's on the pool and then he never comes back. And you're just like, everyone's still kind of happy that things are okay. And it's like this uh, this with this kind of weird cultish horror, obviously the wicked man you see that kind of thing and um just in cults in general that really scares me that's it, long story short that kind of thing scares me when people are like nice to you because they want something secretly i th i think it's really interesting the bits where you talk about like the um like the acceptance of of the culture because there is an element of this right that if you go into a completely different culture things may seem very different to you very weird but out mm. of respect there's this kind of like oh this is you know this is how they do things over here you know, obviously when you're 72 you lob yourself off a cliff and who are we <laughs> to say any different um so it's yeah it's interesting a combination of i think there's a few things there's the combination of this like not wanting to step out of and offend the the people that are hosting them there's from like Christian and Josh, there's just this real want to, we want to be in this and immersed in it as much as possible because this is going to be mm. like the thesis to end all theses. And then, as you mentioned before, kind of Will Poulter's character is there just to get with whoever is he's going to be able to get with. So, um, and then combine that with the fact that these guys are all super nice to you all the time. It's, it's a, I guess, a perfect storm for them kind of being able to carry out what they end up carrying out. I think the scariest bit for me is with the, like you said, with kind of the the culty aspect of it and killing you with kindness. The 
the scariest bit on top of that is that by the end of the film, you kind of get why Danny's now making the decision she's making. So it's a really interesting look at why people join cults like that in the first place. Mm. And that for me is always scary is like, you know, look at looking at from outside in, it's mental, right? <laughs> like all of <laughs> the same with like the Wicker Man and, you know, any horror around a cult, it's crazy. But in real life, people join things like that. Well, and I think Midsummer with... shines a very interesting light on what can happen to lead someone to join something like this. Without getting too political, but like there's things like the QAnon movement in the US, right? If you, there's been some really interesting. Sorry, without getting too political, go on. <laughs> but there's some, there's some really interesting insight. Like the New York Times ran a really interesting article on it, and these people are normal people that feel disenfranchised and have yeah. found something in a counterculture that, for one reason or another, speaks to them or accepts them, and they kind of go along. Like you say, from the outside, it's madness, but that draws them in and then it's just kind of this echo chamber and a constant cycle of i guess positive feedback and and they're they've drunk the kool-aid i think the thing with with cults and i went deep into nexium uh over uh, during lockdown and a lot of the stuff that came out was like most of these people are not stupid people but something in their lives that led them to there or just a suggestion or they just ended up in a, in a church hall or some kind of hall and people like, yeah, well, actually that, that makes sense. I can be, I can be part of this. I can join this. And you don't just, you don't just turn up to cult 101 on day one and sign up and like start drinking the, start drinking the anthrax. It's um, a whole systematic pressure that kind of puts you into that, that, that people have like, succumbed to for billions of years that they've kind of, um, they've got down to a T essentially. Yeah. And it's, it's like Graham said with the, so with the kind of, I don't want to say the grief scene, mm. but the, the, the kind of the very famous Florence Pugh crying and all the other girls in the cult crying with her. It's, it's the first time in the whole film anyone's really shown her empathy for kind of what she's feeling and the things that she's gone through. So you're watching it. It's like, Oh, I, I, you, you do, like you said, you do get it. Yeah. You get why someone would be kind of drawn in by, you know, especially someone who's lost literally everything by that point, suddenly sees all these people who are empathising with her. And it's a, it's a powerful kind of thing. It's also when she arrives, they say to her, welcome home. You know, from the, the outset, they're telling her this is the place that she needs to be. This is where she's going to belong and this is where she's going to heal. It's like a lot of the time people who join courts or kind of get involved in this they're often quite lonely or they've experienced something that's either traumatic or there's loss and they're looking for kind of the answers and the reassurance and the moment she arrives you know they're you know you're back you're here you're home home is safe home is home is where you want to be do you think she's joined the court now is the question i had i know there's a couple of different readings of it where either she's joined the cult or they kill the May Queens. Um, I don't know where I sit on it. Well, do you do you have an idea, Graham? Uh, I know I, where I'd like to think, and I think we, we've we've spoken about this on an episode that is yet to be fully recorded. But there would be, I think, uh, we'd love to see, or at least I'd love to see a um, midsummer in like thirty years' time, where Florence Pugh is leading the cult and bringing the next uh, next. Uh, 
group of unsuspecting Westerners into it. Um, so I'd like to think that she's kind of found her place and found her people. It just even as messed up as her place and people might be. Yeah, I I I, I think she's part of the cult. I, I think she's uh, she's she's been she's drawn in. Life now. That's that's the nicest way her life is going to end. Is basically what you're saying. She's either in the cult. Or she's dead. So there's... <laughs> these are the two options. Because they, they're not exactly just going to go, all right, anyway, um, <laughs> your, your flight's in a day. Probably take you a while to get back to Stockholm. So see you next yeah. time. And how do you get all of those flowers in your hand luggage as well? I mean, it'd be a nightmare. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Lots of flowers, which, uh, pointless trivia, uh, Ariana Grande tried to buy. She is a massive fan of the film and they auctioned it all off for charity and she tried to get them to wear to a party. But she got beaten out, I think, by a museum. Oh, right. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, sure, why not? Yeah, as you do. Well, they haven't. They, the, after this obviously came out, the um, Halloween outfits across the internet were particularly inspired. There <laughs> across was the internet. <laughs> amazing. The interpretations of, of obviously, the, the May Queen, but also of the bear as well. I mean, if you... You're a couple and you're into Halloween dressing up, then it's kind of couple goals, isn't it? If someone is gonna go with the bear for weed, it's podcast co-host goals actually. <laughs> Dibs on the bear though. <laughs> Was there anyone there as the blood angel? Because that would have been a yeah. It's just my skin. I'm gonna put back. Um, we didn't spend much time with Connie and Simon, did we? I think you possibly. I, I haven't seen the directors, but I. I assume you spend more time with them in the director's cut. Not huge amounts more um, that I remember. Yeah, not a huge... The, the, the big kind of thing in the director's cut is there's a whole extra ritual of them... At a lake. Yeah, and it looks like they're going to drown a child. And then the yeah. whole point is that everybody steps forward and says, drown me instead, and then they don't drown anyone, and it's all a big thing. And... Um, the director's cut's really interesting. It, it's I can I can see why they why the cuts were made because um, it is already a very long film. But it's definitely if you're a fan of it, I would recommend watching it at mm. some point just because it, it adds extra details in which a cinematic release doesn't didn't necessarily released, need. Didn't it get released not long after the initial release in the in the theaters? Um, I think it came out. I think it coincided maybe with like the DVD. Right, coming out or something like that, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's well worth watching. But I don't think you get that much extra time. It's it's just more time with Florence Pugh, who I think is, I mean, I think everyone could agree. I think her and well, I think Will Poulter now as well. I think they're some of Britain's biggest exports. Like well, I think Jack Wynn is not doing too badly. No, yeah, himself. Um, we saw him in Sing Street. Um, I always forget he was in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. love that movie. It was the best part of Sing Street. Not the music, <laughs> <laughs> but Jack Rayner. I thought he was—he's he, he's a great actor, and his—I um, don't know—is it hard to play a bastard because he did it really well? And the point I felt sorriest for him when he was—he was just like seeing his his girlfriend who he really wants to dump from like two years ago, and that's 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 the main reason he's a bastard because he's stuck with this this girl who. They want to separate, and he never got the balls to say, "I think we should just split up and do our own thing." And that's that's led him to be the, the, the nubber that he is. But then this girlfriend, who is brought to Sweden with her for reasons, is like the the May Parade in the May Parade, and he's suddenly like lost and alone of a, a sea of white dresses. Then he sits down, and he's like tripping balls, 
And that guy just like smacks his hand and everything just goes, Poof. and it's like, the, why did you do that? <laughs> and my head just went Poof, at that point. It was like really, it was really, really kind of like viscerally weird kind of intense like sequence of events that that bit and i that's 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 actually the bit that's kind of stuck with me more more so than like burning people alive in in the in the yellow triangle house um but i think there's lots of these scenes that i think people have taken away from the film that is the bit that sticks to them i guess is that right what, what are your favorite scenes that stick with yeah, you? yeah i mean so we we've always talked about how so we we saw this in the cinema mm. together um, and we basically just sat in the car afterwards in silence for about five minutes, just of like, I don't know, I don't know. I, and it just, it literally like, we, we kept over the next like two weeks, we just kept messaging. It's like, I'm still thinking about Midsummer. It's like, yeah, I can't. I, it, it's something about it has stuck with us, but couldn't, couldn't exactly figure out what. But our first Midsummer special, we actually did, it was our top three scenes from Midsummer that stuck with us. What were your what were your top three themes? Give us one of them scenes. So we, obviously people go to your website, the podcast nobody asked for. Uh, I mean, for me, like it sounds weird, but it, it, even just the opening mural, mm. like mm. really ends up sticking with you because it's so not how you start a film, right? <laughs> like giving everything away. <laughs> yeah, it, it's such like a a weird when you're going to watch it, what you're thinking is going to be like a Wicker Man esque cult movie. You sit down, this really loud like jarring folk-ish music starts playing and then they just show this really like horrifically surreal like mural and it's like okay okay what <laughs> it, just, it does like really stick with you um kind of for a long time after that and then obviously the hammer smash face like it, it's it's there for a while right oh. Hammer Smash Face is such a good metal name, metal band name, isn't it? It's, it's uh, Hammer Smash Face is a metal song, <laughs> but we'll we'll talk about Cannibal Corpse another day. <laughs> Helen, do you have any any scenes that stick with you? Um, I mean, like all of them. <laughs> There's like so that's cheating. So so much so so much going on. Um, I've already mentioned I really do love the the, the bit with the like blinking flower when she's tripping. I think mm. that's great. But the the May dance, I think is amazing i just love the way that it it's filmed and kind of the energy and they're all dancing and it's just kind of mad so i i do like that one but yeah and then you know pie. i mean <laughs> who doesn't want to meet pie <laughs> um yeah what am, i was gonna uh, i was gonna ask for the may dance do you think it was a setup that she won that or was it yeah. um yeah I I, I can't see past the true that. May Queen though. So but I think they decided that the minute she rocks up, right? Yeah. What about you, Graham? What you, what what stuck with you? I, I've I've already spoken about it, and I will, will always go back to it as uh, the the Florence Pugh uh, realizing what's happened to her sister and her family. Um, it's it's guttural that that reaction, mm. and um, I mean. Ha- <laughs> It's one of those times where it's really frustrating that horror doesn't get the recognition it deserves because I really think Florence Pugh deserves some kind of awards recognition for this performance because I just think she played it brilliantly. In that in that phone call scene, you can see Christian's face like, oh, fuck. I'm going to have to stick with it for a long time now. <laughs> but that that whole thing, like it, it's the, the the way it's filmed, is because it's what it's one of the only scenes in the entire thing that takes place in the dark. In the dark, yeah. Um, and it's about two minutes long. And you know, you know what's going to happen. Like, you might not know how, but you know 
what it's leading up to and the way that they drag it out for the whole as long as they do again it just kind of makes it hit even i mean the reveal of the of the yeah that's that was super dark yeah when it goes back to what you were saying as well earlier like Ariasta shows the whole face with the gaffer tape and the hose. You probably you'll you'll see the hose going into someone's room in other movies, and that's probably where it will cut away. Um, but yeah, Aria goes 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 for it, doesn't he? Um, guys, is there anything else you want to say before we head to the scores? Um, on a massive tangent, everyone should watch the strange thing about the Johnsons, which is a short film that Ariasta made before Midsummer, and it is. Mind-blowingly wild. (laughs) Uh, It's available. uh, The only place really to watch it is on YouTube, but strongly recommend it. You recommend other films before you get to recommend (laughs) Midsummer. Here, I mean, be it as it may. Let's head to the scores. Hello, I'm Hannah Flint from the First Film Club a film podcast series dedicated to established and emerging talent, both in front of and behind the camera, and the feature debuts that launch their careers. From the new drama Mass to the cult classic Heathers, each episode is dedicated to a film, a guest, and the behind-the-scenes stories, memories, and advice from their time on set. Find us, The First Film Club, wherever you listen to your stripped media podcasts. Come join the club. Welcome to our Flix Watcher scores. They're always out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And uh, we will start with you, please, Ian, with your recommendability. Okay, so recommendability. So I did some maths before joining this, and we have recommended on the podcast Midsummer 146 times. Wow. Uh, 146 times and the director's cut. And one of those recommendations was to the director of photography for the film. Um, a little bit of cheating because one of those recommendations was a very bad Midsummer of 69 pun, which we counted as recommending Midsummer 69 times. Um, so I, <laughs> I have to give it a five. We've, <laughs> we've based an entire podcast around how much we, uh, in part at least, around how much we love this film. So it has to be a five. Graham? There's not much more to add there. Yeah, it's a five. I would, I'd be lying if I said anything else. Helen? To be honest, I would have been disappointed had you not given it anything than <laughs> a five. Um, I mean, horror isn't for everyone. There is that to say. But I think this is a lot more accessible than Hereditary. And I think even if you maybe aren't a horror fan, you should be a Florence Pugh fan. So I think on the basis of kind of like her and it's such an incredible performance, and it's kind of, it's not sort of horror. There's a few really specifically horrific moments, but the rest of it is so colourful and light and a little bit weird. You know, you can kind of look away for those moments. You don't like them. And there's, there's just so much going on, and it's just a really kind of, like, weird and interesting film. So I'm also going to give it a five. Wow. Um Sorry to let you down. I mean, <laughs> I don't succumb to peer pressure. Um, I'm going to go for four point five. It's either uh, it's my it's my horror kind of a bias that I didn't watch it. And also, when the, you know when someone does a good film the first time, you're like, no, it's not going to happen again. But yeah, still, yeah, wouldn't give it straight up five because there's some there's some dark 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 themes there. So I couldn't just randomly recommend it to everyone. 
But 4.5, I think that's decent for a horror film from myself. So there you go, 4.5. Repeat viewing score, Ian. Um, so again, it's talking... This is this this particular bit is a selfish one, right? I, I understand why other people might not want to massively rewatch a two plus hour horror movie, but I personally adore this film. Like you said, it is that the use of color. It's not quite like anything I've seen before. It is the messages of kind of grief and the depictions of that is something that kind of speaks to me with um, some things as well. And yeah, I've I've watched this film. I mean, we watch it yearly <laughs> since mm-hmm. it's come out minimum. So yeah, it, it, it is a five. Yeah, I was I was trying to work out how many times I have seen it. I've seen I've watched the director's cut twice. I've seen it in I've seen the cinematic cut twice in the cinema with with Ian both times. We went and watched it at the Prince Charles on Midsummer's Day um, because obviously that's the kind of thing that we do and then i've seen the the cinematic cut probably another four times at home so what we're talking about eight eight times um in total before coming on here i i I didn't because i had to get um another film in so um i (laughs) i i thought i i know this film well well enough um so i haven't i haven't given it that ninth watch just yet but it's it's in the it's in the offing and yeah obviously with that many watches I, i can't give it anything less than the five yeah, that's insane. In the was it three years since it's come out? <laughs> there's other films, guys. There's, there's other films, shorter ones too. In that eight times you've seen Midsummer, you could have seen other films like like double the amount of films. Um, Helen, I have not seen it as much as you guys. So this is my second watch, and only because I've been saving it for someone to pick it to watch it again on on Netflix. Um, to have the experience to talk about it. So obviously thrilled that you watched it. I, I am going to watch it again. I don't quite know when. Um, I'm kind of <laughs> feeling like I might like to see it again on the big screen and at least maybe check out the director's cut for that. So I'm going to give it a four. I mean, there's, there's, there's loads of stuff you can get on the second time, I think. Um, I'm going to watch it again at some point, and I think I'd like to watch the director's cut, uh, and then that might be it. So <laughs> I'll leave you guys to get wrapped up the double digits. <laughs> so yeah, 2.5, because I'll definitely watch it again, but I just don't know how often after that. Small screen score, Ian. Yeah, so for, for me, it is very much, I think, a big screen film, right? I, I think, again, with kind of the the wide open spaces and things like that, it does lend itself to the cinematic experience. Mm. Um, and there's also... I'm trying to phrase this in a way that doesn't make me sound like a massive wanker, but there's always <laughs> there's always like a there's a weird feeling in the room when you're watching it in the cinema, right? Like it's it some something is it, for want of a better phrase in the air. I don't think the small screen. It's not that it detracts from the film, but the big screen elevates the film. Um, so for this, I've just gone four point five, just, just because, right. just yeah, just just four point five. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, just just because I think it, it is. If I could pick, I would go big, big screen. But I wouldn't necessarily turn my nose up at it on a small screen either. Uh, so, for me, I, I've had to go a bit lower here because I think one of the things with Midsummer, um, and as we mentioned when we saw it at the cinema, the first it, the cinema experience for me, like you've got watching the film, and then there's the few 
like half hour afterwards in the car journey home where you're dissecting the film and kind of, oh, you know, if it's a great film, you're kind of uh, going over all the great parts and talking about the actors and the themes and the things that maybe you saw on your, whoever you watched it with didn't. Um, and that was such a big part of at least the first viewing of this that I think it's, that is so important. Then couple that with the fact that it is such a stunning movie, the audio um, editing and the the soundscaping in a cinema is fantastic and the other time i've seen it that wasn't the first time was at the prince charles cinema which is one of my favorite cinemas in the well it is my favorite cinema in the entire world so with all of that in mind and look don't get me wrong i've watched it six times on the small screen as well um it it does lend itself to the big screen better so i'm going to give it like a, a two here for the small screen like I will absolutely watch it on the small screen, but it's 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 so much better on the big screen. Helen, yeah. So I, I saw this at the cinema. I saw it with, at the cinema with um, a past guest and Chevis Roll and quiz quiz team member John Lunny, who we really seem to go to the cinema and watch like really weird films. And uh, I think at several points we sort of looked at each other and was like, "What is this?" So yeah, I would I would really really recommend if you can going to the cinema and watching it, and maybe taking someone who's not seen it before with you, and uh, to have that moment where they you just watch their face as they just try and work out what's going on, and have that beautiful moment afterwards where you do just look at the person you're with and go, what was that? Um, so it is a very very beautiful experience. Uh, but if you can only see it on Netflix, then you know it's it's. It's still okay, I think. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give it three point five. Three point five for small screen. Um, I'm going lower than you guys. Going two point five. I'd really like to, if I do see the director's cuts, ideally be in the cinema, ideally on the, you know, would it be Prince Charles or Prince Charles Central Screen One kind of thing. And I think the the, the bit that's missing isn't necessarily the visuals because the visuals are stunning here and they look, I think they look better projected on a big screen. But you're talking about that that uh, unified experience, but showing that in the, in the cinema at the same time and that when when the when the film gets that whether it's a comedy or horror or just some, something weird going on like i remember seeing the truman show and being like completely discombobulated <laughs> in the cinema with other people that's such an, an amazing experience and that's what you that's what i missed from lockdown and not going to the cinema and i think that i think this film would have that in in, in abundance so it's this it's the it's a shared experience uh, that takes it down a few more notches. Engagement score, Ian. Uh, so for engagement score, um, I'd love I'd love to give it a five, but it is uh, I go four point five just because it's a it's it's a length thing, right? Mm. <laughs> like it's I I if it was if someone had put it on, depending where it is in the film, it is a long thing. It's a film I think you need to kind of prepare yourself for a little bit, but. You know, once you're locked in, you're locked in, right? It's um, uh, yeah. It would be very, yeah. It would be very, very difficult for me to turn the film off once it was on. But just because it's two hours twenty minutes long, I can't quite give it the five. Graham, engagement score. So yeah, I guess I I, I think I fall very um, squarely in line with what Ian said there. Really, I've I've watched it so many times and I've never turned it off. So um, it's it's definitely up there. But I can appreciate um, that a slow burning two two and a half hour plus horror movie isn't necessarily for everyone 
So yeah, I think it does. It will knock the point five off just um, just to to be aware that um, you know some people may struggle, but for me, absolutely engaged throughout. So four point five. Helen, yeah, it it is not long. There's no getting around the fact that you know we're talking two hours twenty seven minutes. I think I thought I would be kind of like more maybe on my phone and like doing a little bit of research when I was watching it but I found that once it started like I was so into it again that um I surprised myself that I was I was more engaged than I was expecting to be so yeah I'm gonna go 4.8 yeah I'm gonna go for 4.2 enjoyed it I was engaged I knew there's gonna be an orgy scene coming up I didn't know what was gonna happen with the bear (laughs) uh I I didn't know whether it was gonna be as simple as I mean picked off one by one which it was uh so we kept you know kept me engaged all the way through I think that's it, yeah. And that gives us an overall score of da, 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 do some maths, 4.15625. That's good. Very good, very good. Um, me mainly bringing it down. Oh, actually, there's a small screen, small screen score. Screen. Yeah. Guys, should we head to the Twitter? So everyone do follow us online on Twitter in particular because we put out a shout-out before, before we record the film uh, asking you guys to give your opinions. Uh, look out for a tweet like this. We're reviewing Midsummer with Lord Harry's and with Graham from Nobody Asks Four Pod. That's for the number four. Uh, have you seen it? Tells your thoughts and the score out of five stars for an on-air shout-out on Flixwatch. And we had a few responses here. I expect just two. Ian, do you want to take us away with the first one? Uh, so from uh, Liam H. Dempsey, we have uh, starts powerfully before devolving into a borderline parody of The Wicker Man. There's a fun comedy of man is somewhere in here, but us to saddles the film with a crippling runtime and total shifts so breakneck that it would require a far more intelligent script to pull them off. Uh, he's given it 2.5 stars. Um, I think Asta makes amusing and visually arresting films that are grossly overlong cases of style over substance. Biggest case of Emperor's New Clothes in filmmaking for years, in my opinion. Liam is not happy at all. (laughs) Neither are we. Who is this guy? (laughs) Graham. Uh, I'm going to go with the the fantastically named Scheitgeist uh, at Scheitgeist Pod, who is much more complimentary, um, takes big swings and toys with the audience, veering between horrific and comedic at times, but overall an incredibly confident accomplishment from a singular director. And he gives it four bears out of five, which I, I quite like. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, Helen. Last one. Well, this this one's great. We got we got two reviews in one tweet on this one. So this one is from Lee Thomas. Superb. Really got under my skin. One of the few examples where I thought the foreshadowing actually helped the film. Wife's review. Really good. Annoyed me a bit why they didn't all just leave after it was obvious they were all weirdos. And he's given it five stars. I think it was clear there was only one train every four to five minutes or something like that, and it takes like twenty years to get there, so they can't just disappear. So, uh, so we've actually uh, we've stolen an idea for a future episode from that review. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at some point, we're going to do a top three list of horror movies where they could have just left, because <laughs> I think that is such a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, Ian Graham. Can you tell us where we can find your podcast and say goodbye to listeners? And thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. So you can find us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for. And uh, yeah, so Instagram, you can find us on Twitter at NobodyAskFor with the number four. And everything is on our website, which is podcastnobodyaskfor.co.uk. So all of our episodes, all of the links to other fancy places. Uh, yeah, no, thanks for having us. Anything for you, Graham? 
Uh, just, yeah, you can find us. Uh, the podcast is wherever you listen to your podcast. We're on all of the platforms. Give us a listen. Give us a review. Um, and, yeah, come come listen to more Midsummer content because we've got plenty of it. Thanks so much uh, for Yeah, in. do follow them. They've got hours and hours and hours and hours of it. And there will be more. Uh, thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, thank guys. you for having us. There Cheers. will always be more. Bye. 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 Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood audio tell them flicks what she sent you you just heard a stripped media production